Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Orange Theory Fitness. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. When we say we live in a city, it's pretty clear what that means. It's also pretty simple to understand what we mean when we say we're living in a neighborhood. Uh, What is a little more complex is what we mean when we say we're part of a community. On the one hand, community is tangible. It's a quality that we all share, like New Orleanian. On the other hand, community is also intangible. It's a feeling. A a dictionary defines it as a feeling of fellowship with others. My lunch guests are contributing to building both senses of community here in New Orleans. Seamus McGuire is the co-founder of Cicada. Cicada is an architecture firm, but don't picture a bunch of guys with ink-stained fingers sitting at drafting tables. Cicada architects, they're designing houses and commercial buildings, but they also create architectural renderings and animations for other architects and developers. They have a fleet of drones, and they use architectural photos, videos, 3D scanning and mapping, and they do 3D printing. One of the four co-founders of Cicada is Seamus McGuire. Seamus, welcome out to lunch. Peter, thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me on. One of the keys to creating community is finding the connection between personal and public good. That might be doing something on your private property that's good for your property value, and it also benefits everybody else. Now, for example, uh, busting up concrete and planting a garden, it makes your place look better, and if enough people do it, less concrete and more water-absorbent surfaces reduce flooding for the whole city. That's one of the projects the Urban Conservancy is undertaking. They call it the Front Yard Initiative, FYI, and they even give you $1,250 to pay for it. Dana Anes is the executive director of the Urban Conservancy. Dana, it has been five years since you were here. Uh, welcome back to Out to Lunch. Thank you. I'm really hungry. Oh, good. <laughs> you came to the right spot. The uh, out to just hanging out together is a <laughs> yeah, show you don't get to eat. Time. So it's uh, <laughs> Seamus on your website. You say Chiquita's mission is to create stronger communities through our thoughtful approach to design. Our architecture is not meant to stand on its own, but rather integrated into the lives of those who inhabit it. This is a really interesting philosophy. It brings up the relationship between private and public good. On the private side, if I'm a developer and I'm risking millions of dollars building a building, I need to be distinctive in some way to attract tenants or buyers. How do you square that client demand with your own belief in the greater good? So I think, and. I, I think the the way we approach that is specifically through our our tool sets of um, through the way we practice. Um, specifically, you mentioned earlier we do a lot of three um, D animation renderings, three um, D printing, and whatnot. And what we found is that being able to design with these new technological resources and being able to really immerse our clients within their models and their uh, their buildings or their spaces prior to them actually signing off on something. Um, we find that it's, it, it does two things. It, it allows them to better feel confident about their project and then also it allows them to um, critically think about 
you know, is this project um, good for the environment, good for what, you know, their ideologies are, along with ours. So we find that really the, the imagery itself um, through the technology has been able to do a lot of the speaking for us that I think in the past um, you'd have to articulate a little bit more through just 2D plans. You know, when I first took a look at your company, uh, it seemed like you were involved in maybe too many things. I almost, <laughs> wanted, to, I almost wanted to yell out, pick a lane, right, you know, right. but, but they all tie together. They do. Um, the big thing for Cicada when we, were, when we were going through our business plan was really rethinking how the architectural practice is, is, is done. And, um, and for us, you know, with the advent of the technology boom, um, you, you, you utilize these, these tools as an architect, but we find that they also, you know, they can stand alone on, on, by themselves. So, for example, if we have a client who wants a, a treehouse done, um, we would utilize the, the 3D drone mapping. We would utilize the 3D printing for the design and the renderings um, for that particular project. Um, but at the same time, we can step outside of being architects and, and think of it, hey, how can we actually make money or make business just doing 3D printing? And so who are those people who may need fast prototyping that aren't looking to do a building? Um, and so that's kind of how we've reimagined our practice. Um, we are, you know, strongly architects. However, we like to, um, again, kind of just reinvent or rethink how architecture is practiced. Now, Dana, the Urban Conservancy has a range of initiatives, including Stay Local, which we'll get to in a second. But I want to focus first on FYI, the, the Front Yard Initiative. As I mentioned, the Urban Conservancy will reimburse a homeowner up to $1,250 to bust up concrete in their yard and replace it with a surface that absorbs rain like a, like a garden. Presumably, this initiative will only have any real effect on citywide flooding if thousands of us do it, in which case it's gonna cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, where's the money gonna come from to pay for this? That is an excellent question. <laughs> excellent question. Um, it's what you hope for in one <laughs> yes, sense, right? I mean, to have yes. enough people sign up. If, if you remember, last August, August 2017, August 5th, there was a, a weather event that resulted in some severe flooding. And from that point forward, we have been prefacing every public presentation that we give with um, this a statement that says, um, people ask, can we continue to live here? And the answer is, yes, we can continue to live here, but we, um, we need to learn to live with water. And that we need to understand together what that means living with water because we probably feel a lot of times that we are living with water in unpleasant ways already um, but the idea is you know when you think about us as homeowners our home for many of us that's our major investment sure. and we as homeowners want to control every aspect of our property right we cut the grass when it gets too long we prune the trees we pick the fruit and the vegetables from our garden when it grows. We paint the house when it needs painting. But the one thing where we, that we completely abdicate our, um, our control is with the water that falls on our property. And, and we have to get away from that. And we have to understand that it's empowering and, it, and it's exciting to do that. And there are all sorts of great opportunities there. Because when, when we take control of the water and we decide that we're going to tell the water where it's going to go, rather than let it go where it wants to go, which oftentimes is under our house, threatening our, our major investment, then that's when we start making a difference, um, not only on our property value um, and securing our property, but on our, our block, in our community, as you say, um, 
and for the city as a whole. So it's really, it's really a mindset, and that's what living with water is. It's saying the water that falls on my property is mine to manage and to own, and that's a good thing. And, and when I can figure out how I can slow down the water and keep it here for a little while, let it spread out, soak in, recharge our groundwater, um, that's water that's not being driven into, into our storm system and overloading um, our, our pumping system, which if you've seen recent articles um, in the um, Times-Picayune that, you know, that have been really extensive about what our pumping capacity is, but that gray infrastructure needs help on the green side, and that's where all of us come in, on the commercial and the residential side, but it's a lot of fun. Actually. But, but your, to your question of where does the money come from, and that's, it really is an excellent question, and that is, as you said, we, we reimburse, but that's contingent at present on philanthropic dollars, and it's hard to make this sell. What you're saying about the community benefits is a really important thing, but it's hard for a philanthropist to say, wait a minute, I'm giving money to a homeowner for this program. What most cities are set up to do, this is something that most cities have set up and it's part of what the, the um, it's a city funded program. And we're, we're hopeful that our city, that New Orleans will get there and we're sort of demonstrating how a program like this can work and how it can be scaled with uh, adequate funding. Dana, I commend I commend uh, what your the, the the mission um, of the business is doing because not only are you guys enabling those who can't do this for themselves, but you're also creating awareness for those who can do it for themselves. So those homeowners who do have the money to spend um, not only beautifying their lawn but also helping the uh, the stormwater management, um, I think you're killing two birds with one stone. So yeah, exactly, and the the inspiration factor is huge. So when a neighbor an individual does it, and then the neighbors who are walking their dogs are saying, what's going on here? What's the, what are you doing? And they can, they can be, it's kind of this peer-to-peer -peer learning thing, and it really convinces other people. It's too. so true. I mean, I don't think it has a negative stigma, but stormwater management can be, it can be attractive. You know, yeah. I mean, who doesn't oh. want to see a new, I mean, that's the... Oh, I'd take a garden over a slab of cement. Of course. Yeah. Everybody wants some vegetation and trees. That's the beauty of New Orleans, you know. Um, there's nothing worse than, I always say this, but there's nothing worse than a developer coming in and plowing down all the trees just to repave and plant a small tree right. in its place. You know, like, just let's, let's work with what we have or let's go ahead and add more vegetation. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Seamus McGuire from Cicada and Dana NS from the Urban Conservancy. So. Seamus, let's take a couple of examples because... Uh, of your business that would probably make this a little bit more 3D, I guess, if we had this discussion. What did you do with the, with the Plaza Tower? Oh, that my was goodness. A, yeah, that kind of encompasses it all together. Right. Help. You know, it's funny you bring that up. Uh, so I've, um, I brought the, the Superdome, the 3D printed Superdome right. for you because I figured that's pretty iconic. Um, I was contemplating bringing you the Plaza Tower, actually. We had that 3D printed. <laughs> oh, that would be so nice of you. Um, so we're... Part of our initiative as well as of rethinking the architectural business is marketing. So James and I, who run our marketing division, um, we follow Tower Fantasy, which is an Instagram profile. Um, those of you listening, um, just go ahead and on your Instagram, at Tower Fantasy. So Tower Fantasy is an anonymous profile. So they follow no one and no one knows who they are. Um, however, they started this profile specifically to um, give awareness to this building that has been um, not occupied for some time. For better or for worse, it's just kind of been sitting there. So this profile is created to just give awareness to the building and say, hey, what could it be? 
it's now become this its own thing and the, the PRC, the Preservation Resource Center, picked it up and they did this beautiful show on it. Again, you don't know who is running the account. But uh, James and I reached out on our podcast and actually asked them if they would be interested in coming on the show. And then with that, we ended up kind of going on this rabbit hole of 3D printing the Tower Plaza and like we found it like this was this very symbiotic relationship of promoting them as well as promoting us. No, I've got to ask you, Dan, when I think uh, at one point, back, you've been doing this a long time, by the way, but 2003, you were one of the folks that was really pushing hard to try to not get that Walmart built around Chapatulas. Um, you know, you could be on either side of that issue, but one of the things I, I'm interested in is, is that some small businesses have still done very well, and of course others went out of business. Have you figured out what it was that made businesses be able to compete? With, the, with Walmart? It really is their um, recognizing their, their customer relationship value. Um, I think a lot of it too. I remember uh, David Guidry at Lakeside Camera. If you think about his business, it's a second generation, but it was a little camera shop that his parents owned, very, you know, straight up camera shop and film supplies and that sort of thing, film development. And what he made it when you go into Lakeside Camera and uh, photo now it's it's an experienced place and he recognized this sort of needing to morph and adapt and create so that when you were coming in you were you were exposed to much more than just simply a single transaction you were exper- experiencing lots of service provision you were experiencing just kind of a beautiful layout an interesting layout all sorts of other he stepped up his social media game all sorts of things so i think the ones that have survived have figured out like how can I continue to adapt and evolve and um, provide a personal experience to the person coming into my shop, regardless of what I sell? Any, any business can do that, can create the reason for the person to come in and make that. And, and the successful ones do that. And I got to say, too, Walmart, God bless it. Now we've got, a, like, we got a, a soft place in our heart for any brick and mortar because Amazon has become the, the behemoth in the room right. that is really threatening, threatening our, our um, mainstream, you know, our... Brick, brick and mortars. Right. Um, Dana, I understand this, but a lot of people don't quite get this part about the, the math of shopping locally in small businesses where the money flow is. Can you help us with that? Sure. It's, it's about holding on to our dollars as long as possible. So helping people understand that, you know, you, you, you buy something at, you know, you buy your hamburger at McDonald's versus Company Burger. And that when you hear that ding of the, if, if we could be like Pavlov's dog, and we hear the ding <laughs> of, the, of the cash register and understand that ding signals our dollars shipping out of New Orleans to headquarters, wherever, to meet payroll, to do them. Yeah. Exactly. Um, as opposed to, um, you know, staying in New Orleans and circulating from that cash register to a local bank or to another business. And, and, um, you know, to local service providers, the designer who designs their logos and, and that sort of stuff. So the more, the longer we can hold on to our dollar, the more impact that dollar has on on our local economy. And you get that multiplier effect. It ha- exactly. So you spend a dollar here and then it's, it has that, um, um, it, it, depending on who yeah. you talk to, but it can have a, a, a three to one impact right. That as dollar makes to other sing. dollars, which exactly. if you make other dollars, you go to jail. Yeah, that's right. Is, uh, that I've is, tried it. It didn't a, work out so well. Before you so. know it, you're in the rodeo in October. Uh, oh, boy. It is. Uh, <laughs> you know, Seamus, the other thing I've got to be proud of when I look at your company is that uh, you're about a year old, and you've done it so far without any debt. That's true. We have. The hardest part for us, I think, as architects running a business uh, at such a young age, 
um, is really learning how to run on business. You know, no one teaches that in architecture. Um, so that's, I think, been actually the hardest part for us. Getting the work and getting getting our name out there has actually been relatively easy. And then performing the work has been, you know, that's what we're trying to do. So we can do that. But uh, but the business, um, learning how to run it has been certainly the um, a challenge. And what we have found is that the health of the company comes first. So if all the partners have to take a, redu- a reduction in pay that month, then so be it. Because we know that as long as the money's staying within the company, um, we're buying our new technology to help facilitate those projects that are required. Um, that'll help us in the long run. So that's kind of been our strategy. Pretty good amount of risk, though, because you were with a, all of you with a pretty significant architectural firm with sure. a real check every week. Definitely. That, that was one of those things your parents are like, you sure you want to do this? And you're like, <laughs> I, I am. You know, and I think a lot of us have very low risk as far as taking that leap of faith. Um, you know, one of us had, a, I think, a child at the time. Uh, everybody had already had their, their home and was married. So we were settled, but also not extremely overloaded with debt. Um, so we felt like it was the right time. And um, it, we always knew that the fallback was, look, if it doesn't work out, you can always go get a job. It's fine. It's not a, it's not a big deal. And Danny, you've been very good on mission and enthusiasm. So is the fundraising the part you're not crazy about? or? Um, I no, I love fundraising. Fundraising is great. <laughs> it's um, they put the think, fun back in fundraising. Right, sure, exactly. They. Um, I think the the part that is challenging is uh, helping people understand exactly what we were talking about at the beginning is how how we can create community benefit and how we the onus is on all of us as individuals to create that community benefit. And what I see in terms of our model with the Front Yard Initiative um, and also with our, our, our local business strategy is that disposable income that of individuals is, is money with no strings attached. So if the city understands that folks who have dollars that are disposable that want to make improvements on their lot that create these city, help the city reach its goals in terms of water detention, for example, that's, those are those are folks that we should be reaching out to and encouraging them. And that's, I mean, this, uh, that idea of incentivizing people to do what they want is as important as kind of dinging them on the penalty side when they're not doing it. We have to do both. We have to have the stick to, and the enforcement is really important, but we also have to recognize and celebrate that homeowners, that's, they're fundraising for them for, for the city by, by just investing in their own properties in certain ways. So, so for me, I mean, I think that the challenge is just the kind of raising the awareness across the board, not just with the individuals, but with our city officials and everyone that like, let's really figure out how we can do this. If, if any place should put this as a priority. Yes, I, this is exactly. Something. 64 inches of rainwater a year. We got right. Survival is a very yeah, important is. thing. It, it's uh, kind of an existential deal <laughs> for some of us. Seamus, I was going to say, you know, as I mentioned, initially I look at your company and I thought, wow, they're going in a lot of different directions. But I guess the positive on the other side is that, first of all, there are a lot of synergies and such, but you've got separate income flows. We do. That's got to make you sleep at night. Yeah, we do. Um, it's it, <clears throat> Again, it goes back to just rethinking. Actually, I'm glad you brought this up, Peter, because it, it goes back to the, the core fundamentals of why we, we rethought architecture. Because originally um, we were brought up in a very traditional uh, architectural um, firm where when the reche- when the recession came you're let's say you only do a specific um, typology of work and and for whatever reason the recession came and that typology no longer existed or wasn't 
happening at that point, then you know, you'd see a dip in productivity in your firm. And so for us, we wanted to rethink, like, how, how do we recession-proof ourselves? And so that's really what really pushed diversifying our company outside of just architecture, but, you know, thinking, hey, can, if the recession comes, can we still facilitate using drones and doing aerial videography and photography? Can we still utilize the 3D printing sector? Um, and it really kind of permeates throughout our company. So it was not only kind of separating ourselves as a, as a firm um, and the way we operate, but also re recession-proof. There are many strands to building community, from encouraging support for local retailers and busting up concrete to designing and building buildings. Dana and Seamus, you're both making valuable contributions to building our New Orleans community. Thanks for everything you're doing, and thank you both for taking the time to come out today and join me for Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Dana NS. She's the executive director of the Urban Conservancy and Seamus McGuire, the co-founder of Cicada. You can find out more about Dana's and Seamus's community building and buildings by following the links on our website, itsneworleans.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Maggie Mendel. You can listen to the show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts and at itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and It's New Orleans' Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at LaFleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table Out here at Commander's Palace. Out to Lunch is recorded Palace. live over lunch Commander's New Orleans Palace style in New Orleans. On Out Commander's to lunch. Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Basics Swimming Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. 